I'd like for you to turn to the 21st chapter of Ephesians. <laughs> if you can find that. I think it's the second chapter. Well, a little typo here. It's 19 chapters off. I want to read verses um, 19 through 22 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. And I will be using this um, uh, letter to the Ephesians as we move along here in this sermon on the church. Um, you, you do understand that when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about this building that we, where we meet. Uh, I'm talking about you and, and I'm talking about me and this group of people that meet here is just a microcosm of the universal body of believers which there are many uh, groups of folks and believers. And uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I'm reading from uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Um, Bill and Gloria Gaither have made a tremendous impact on uh, gospel music and church music. There are five uh, hymns and choruses in our Baptist hymnal by Bill and Gloria Gaither. I suppose the most uh, popular is Because He Lives, written by Bill and Gloria Gaither. There is a piece that they did that is not in the Baptist hymnal, and yet I think it probably is one of the most significant ones. It, it goes like this, Let the church be the church, let the people rejoice. We've settled the question. We have made our choice. Now, when I first heard that, I, I thought, well, that sounds a little presumptuous and arrogant. I mean, is it possible that we can prevent the church from being the church? It's kind of like um, going out to the, uh, in, in the morning and saying to the sun, I think I'll let you come up this morning as though we could prevent that from happening. But the more I looked at that, the more I realized that that's pretty good theology, that indeed we can keep the church from being the church. As a matter of fact, um, we may have and may are. Um, I ask you this morning, is what you understand about the church, is that what you believe was meant to be? I mean... Do you believe the church is what the church was meant to be? I think if you ask the average man on the street, he will tell you that he's somewhat disappointed in the church, that the church is really not even a reasonable facsimile of what he understands the church should be or is from a New Testament perspective. And if you were to ask some um, Bible thinker or Bible learner, person who understands the Bible, he might tell you that the church is not the church as it was meant to be. Tozier is a um, 
man who stirs me. He says that we are living in a time when it is fashionable to want to be something we're not. He said our sin is the sin of the angels. We have kept not our first estate. And he applies that to the church. He said no longer are churches congregations of people who have come together to worship God. We have become audiences of people who have come to watch men. And that one time, saints gathered together to participate in the liturgy, and now we are spectators who have come to observe a performance. In other words, he is saying that the church is really not the church. Um, instead of being this um, place where people can bleed, Tozier says we become just monuments to look at. And instead of places where people can come and find and have their wounds bound, we have become untouchable cathedrals. Interesting observation. I was listening to a, a lady uh, a few hours ago talk about what it would be like to visit Westminster Abbey. Some of you are planning a trip this spring to England and you'll be visiting Westminster Abbey. And she was telling about uh, Westminster Abbey, what it would be like to visit there and this paragon of religious history. And this is what she said. Listen to this definition, description of Westminster Abbey. She said, quote, you'll be surprised who's buried there. <laughs> That's an amazing statement. I'll never get over that. You'll be surprised who's buried there. And it seems to me like that these, that the church, which was meant to be places where the insignificant could find life, it has now become a place where the significant are buried. I mean, in more ways than one. Okay. Is the church the church? That's a question. Or a larger question is, when is the church the church? I mean, really, when is it what it ought to be? Well, let me give you an answer to that. The church is the church when it acts like it. And you say, well, that's too simplistic. I've got to have more than that. So I'll give you more than that from Ephesians. For Ephesians gives us these marvelous analogies and three illustra illustrations to describe it. The church is the church when it acts like the church. And this is how the church acts when it is the church. It acts like a building and a body and a bride. Now I want you to look again at chapter 2, verses uh, 21 and 22. It says it acts like a building. It is, the church is the church when it is fitted together like a building. And he says that this church is growing. That is, he, he wants us to understand that this is a process of becoming. The church never arrives. It's in the process of becoming. And it is growing together like a building. And it is significant that this building is being done by Jesus. This growing is being done by Jesus. My sense is, is that the problem that exists in the world with regard to the church is that in far too many cases, the church is being built by man and for man. Now, if you want to know what, if your church is being built by Jesus, ask yourself the question, are the gates of hell prevailing against it? For Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now I want you to notice something significant here. And I watch this because 
I need you to, to, to get this, please, that the emphasis of verse 21, as he describes the church as the church, is not on reaching out. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis is not on growing larger. The emphasis is on growing together. And what he's saying is this, that, that what God is doing in our life and in our midst is, is that he's fitting us together and we're growing together. The emphasis is not on reaching out. The emphasis is on growing together of becoming this body of one, this unity of one, growing together. Now you say, now wait a minute, now what about church growth? I've been hearing that the only reason we have to exist is to reach people. And what about that early church? It wasn't growing, of course it was. As a matter of fact, there was this explosion in that Asian world. And the book of Acts says that in two years, everybody in Asia Minor had heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of that. In two years, everybody in Asia Minor had heard of Jesus. Yeah, that's pretty strong. That's pretty heavy growth. Well, let me tell you the secret of that growth. The secret of that growth was is that before that explosion, they were all together in one accord. They were all together in unity. And I'm absolutely convinced that we're not ready to confront the world until we have grown together as one. Now that's an audacious statement. And it's a dangerous statement. And so I need some support for that statement. I want you to do a little word study with me in verse 22. In verse 22, I want you to take a pen, a pen and I want you to underline the word into. You can do it in, in verse 21 as well, into. That word into means, it's, it's a word that means movement toward an object. It's progress toward a purpose. And he suggests there is a purpose. And the purpose of a building is habitation. I mean, can you imagine somebody spending money and energy and time on buildings they didn't have, you had no desire to fill? I mean, you know, I hear people decry all the time that we have too many empty buildings in Durant. The purpose of a building is to put supplies in it and have customers there, have people there, so that a, the, the, the purpose of this building is habitation. And the reason why, watch this, God puts together a people is that he might have a habitation. Whether we are here together on Sunday or whether we're out there scattered on Monday, the purpose of the church is to be a habitation of God. Now there are two other words I need you to circle. They're the words holy temple. Now there are two New Testament words for temple. One of them refers to that larger temple compound where everybody uh, passed and where everybody could, could go. And the other word for temple in the New Testament is a, is a reference to the holiest place where only God was. The holiest of holies. That's the word he uses here. And what he's saying is this, is that God is building this, this body of people, this temple, this, this habitation where people will sense God's presence. And the emphasis is not on the building itself. And the emphasis is not on where the building is even. The emphasis is on his realized presence. And what he's saying is this, is that the church is the church. 
when there are people in whom God has chosen to dwell, and when you are with those people, you sense God there. And you say, well, I thought God was always present when his people gathered in church at least. Then he say, where two or three are gathered together, lo, thy right in your midst. But you know, you can be somewhere and people not know it. I mean, I've, been, I've had people say to me, you know, I missed you last night. I said, well, I was there. I said, well, you were there, I didn't see you. Well, somebody could be there and you not see them. Let me tell you something. God can be present and often is and we never know it. The church is the church when God's people are such and create such an atmosphere that folks, when they're near that group of people or that person, sense the presence of God. And if that happens, you won't have to advertise. I mean, you won't have to put in a paper, come to our church on Sunday morning, for there is something that, about the presence of God that gravitates folks. A church is a church when it is fitted together like a building. Second, the church is the church when it functions like a body. Now, I want you to look at chapter 4. I'm going to read verse, verses 11, and then I'm going to skip to verse, to verse 15. Look at this. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, some as pastors, teachers. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. There's that word into again. Now there's a difference between, watch this, being in something and into something. I've been to Miami. I've been in Miami. You ask me, well, did I see the Orange Bowl? No, I didn't see the Orange Bowl. Did you go down by the... By the uh, docks by the, the sea and see all those beautiful yachts. No, I didn't see. Well, where were you? I was in the airport. You say, well, you weren't really in Miami. Yes, I was. Sit on my ticket, my itinerary. Go to Miami. In Miami, you go somewhere else. I've been in Miami. But I've been into Durant. Let me tell you, I know every pothole. Now, I couldn't say this in early service because the city manager was here. I know every pothole in Durant. I know every, I, I, know, I can go where you live. I mean, I don't know the name of the street where you live, or most of you, but I can go right to your house. I know everything about this town. I've been all over it, every back, every back street, side street, and alley, just about. I've been in Durant, into Durant. Now, everybody here this morning who is a believer is in Christ, but not everybody is into him. It's what the kids, how the kids say this, I'm not into math, you know? I see some of you who not in a, I'm not into math. What they're saying is, I, I've got enough math to graduate, but I'm just not into it. I don't know that much about it. You can, a believer is in Christ, but not everybody's into him. It's what Paul meant when he said, Oh, that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection, and that I might be conformed to the image of his dying. He's saying, I want to know everything I can know about Jesus. I want to experience everything I can experience about him. I am into him. Now the church is the church when this body of people 
are into him. Now, if the function of the, of the, if the purpose of a building is habitation, the purpose of a body is to carry out the wishes of the head. You know why Jesus came in a body? He came to carry out the wishes of the head. He said, I do only that which pleases me, pleases him. I do only what I hear the, I say what I hear the Father say. I do what I see the Father do. I do that which pleases him. Now the purpose of this body is to please the head. That involves two things. It involves subordination to the head and it involves cooperation with the members. Now I know some, uh, a guy, a friend of mine, who's, who had some, something happen to him at birth, and he had, he's what we call, you know, he's, I try to think of a better term than this, but I couldn't, we call him a spastic. Something happened so that the members, his members are not subordinate to his brain, and they just go off in every direction. Now let me, let me say this, now watch me, look here. In order for the church to be the church, there must be subordination to the head, and there must be cooperation among the members, and if there is no cooperation among the members, it means there's no subordination to the head. For if there is subordination to the head, then every member of this body will be subordinate to the head and will carry out the wishes of the head. Will do what the head desires. Can you imagine trying to walk with one foot going one direction and another foot going? I cannot imagine that would be too comfortable. Can you imagine getting up in the morning to go brush your teeth and your hand comes up to your mouth but your mouth won't cooperate and open? Can you imagine your ears getting ready to hear, but every time your ears get ready to hear, fingers go inside the ear. There's got to be subordination to the head and cooperation among the members. And what Paul says is this, is that when that happens, you have a self-contained unit. Now by that I mean that you have everything within the body you need to be what God desires you to be. You don't have to have outside help. Just a little while ago, I, uh, a few months ago or years ago, I, I got this letter from somebody who, who was decrying the fact that the church may lose its tax-exempt status. And this person had this sentence in this, in this letter that says this, what's going to happen to the church if we lose our tax-exempt status? My answer was, if we have to have a tax-exempt status to survive, we don't need to survive. And so this letter said, you write your congressman and try to get this legislation enacted that will guarantee that the church will always have tax exemption status. My answer to that is, if we have to have legislation from Washington in order to exist, we don't need to exist. For we have within this body 
everything we need to be everything that God wants us to be. And that's why I get excited when somebody joins the church because I want to say we've not been complete until that person joined and now at this moment in time we're complete to be everything God wants us to be. Now there's a potential here. Now watch this potential. The potential is found there in verse 16 when it says that we are being fit together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Now what he's saying is this, that this happens if every member of the body supplies its proper work. Every member of the body supplying what every member of the body was meant to supply. In other words, I don't want my hand just to be busy. I want my hand to be doing what my hand was meant to do. A few years ago, I was walking down a street in Portland, Oregon, or Seattle, one of those cities on the West Coast, and I saw this commotion of people, and everybody's kind of standing back, and this guy came walking by on his hands. He was walking by on his hands. Had two good-looking feet to me. I mean, they had shoes on, but... I was saying to myself, man, didn't you know that you, you got something that you're supposed to, you know, that, that's what your feet are for. And so everybody was kind of walking by, standing by, and he walked by on his hands. When I was in seminary, when I was pastor of Fort Worth, I had a girl whose husband was in the seminary, a, 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 a girl in my church, who was born without arms. Now, she did everything with her feet. Now, if you've never seen a young mother change a diaper with her feet, you haven't seen everything yet. You, you haven't lived yet. I mean, she would change a diaper fast as we could change a diaper with her hands. She changed diapers. Those diapers with her feet was a remarkable thing. I started to say it was a remarkable feat. But <laughs> that has to be a pun, but that's what happened. Now, it was a, it was a, it was a magnificent thing to watch her doing this work with her feet, but what she was doing with her feet was meant to be done with her hands. She didn't have any. Are you listening to me? My sense is that most churches are walking on their hands. And my sense is that most of the work that is done in the church among the people of God is being done by feet when it should be done by hands. And the only reason why it's having to be done with feet is because we can't find the hands to do it. It functions as a body. It's the church. One last word, please. The church is the church when it is faithful like a bride. I see some of you getting married this spring, this summer. There's June, she's getting married in June. Or last May, it's May, you better remember that because I'm doing the wedding. I, I had better, I, I was trying to think the other day how many, how many weddings I've done. I know I've done at least 800 weddings. Think of that. There are 800 marriage licenses around this country with my name on it. I have yet to see an unhappy bride. I think I did see one. She discovered what she was getting when she got down there. But I, I, 
<laughs> she wasn't too excited. But I, just a joke. I, I, have, I, have, I have never seen an unhappy bride. One, one characteristic of a bride is it's, it's joy, it's happiness. I don't get upset when these kids come on Sunday night and start clapping. I wish we did it on Sunday morning, to be honest with you. I mean, if it's genuine and, and, and spontaneous. And it's when they laugh at me, that's when I get a, have a problem. I don't mind them uh, celebrating or laugh. I mean, it ought to be when we came here, when we come here, it ought to be a celebration. If there is something about a bride that you can mark down as a, as a norm and standard is that there's joy. And so they came to Jesus and said, why don't your disciples fast? He said, why should they fast? They've got the bridegroom with them. This is a reason for celebration. Why the gloom and doom? I had a guy tell me the other day, he said, when I was a kid growing up, if you smiled in church, you got in trouble when you got home. Let me tell you what, this is an occasion of joy. Celebration. Second thing I've always observed about a bride, the guy can be totally ugly, the groom can be ugly, but the bride is beautiful. I've seen all kinds of brides, all sizes, colors, shapes. One thing that they have in common, they have a beauty about them that is indescribable. And I remember what? The revelator said, he said, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. You look up what that word adorned means. It means to be decked with ornaments to make attractive. It means to embellish. It means to fix up for the groom. The church is the church when it spends its time getting beautiful for the groom. Adorning itself. If he came back today, how would you look? Now what is, that, what is an illustration of that adorn? You give me a, a composition of Handel's Messiah and I'll hold it in my hand and all those symbols and, 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 and letters and pictures, that mean a thing to me. I can hand that over to Mary Ann and she can play Handel's Messiah and has on that organ. What she's done is she has adorned the composition. And one day I stood and looked at Michelangelo's statue of David that stands high above the city of Florence and that magnificent statue stands there. And one day that statue was just a stone and Michelangelo took a, a, a mallet and a chisel and chiseled away at it. What he did to that stone was he adorned it. The church is the church when it's beautiful. When it's adorned. Now how do you adorn the bride of the church? Let me give you some ways by you adorn the bride when you are doers of the word and not just hearers only. Sorian Kierkegaard talks about a little place, an imaginative place called Duckville. He said everybody lived there. It was ducks. He said on Sunday morning they went to the, to the duckest Baptist church. He said they waddled down to the duckest Baptist church and they waddled down the aisle and they waddled up to their pew and they squatted. And the preacher who was a duck got up and read from the duck Bible and he said, ducks have wings. 
And because you ducks have wings, you ducks can fly. And because you can fly, you can fly like eagles. And because you can fly like eagles, no walls will, in, will, will surround you and no land animals will hurt you. You ducks have wings, you can fly. And all the ducks quacked, amen, then they waddled out of the church. And this, friend, this Dutch existentialist nails us with this idea that most of the time we come to church and we leave the same way we came. And we listen to the preacher quack and, and we all say amen and we whack our way out the, 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 the aisle and we go home and we're no different than when we came. The church is the church when it bedecks itself with deeds. And we adorn the bride when we deny ourselves all oh, the bitter shame and sorrow that a time could ever be when I heard the master's pity plead in vain and proudly answered, all of self and none of thee. Yet he found me and I beheld him Bleeding on the cursed tree, heard him pray, forgive them, Father. And I felt my wistful heart say, some of self and some of thee. Day by day is tender mercy, healing, helping, full and free, rich and strong and yet so patient brought me lower till I whispered, less of self and more of thee, higher than the highest heavens, deeper than the deepest sea. Lord, thy love at last has conquered none of self and all of thee. Let me tell you, when the church is the church, it's when we're able to say that together, none of self and all of thee. Denial. Give me your eyes and I'll see through them. Give me your face and I'll grow through it. Give me your brain and I'll think with it. Give me your hands and I will work with them. And when we say, all to thee I surrender, that's when the church becomes the church. Now there are two things and I'll hurry and quit. Give me two minutes. Give me two and I'll take five. Give me two minutes. It seems to me that the, that the purpose of a bride is just be faithful to the groom. What is the book of Hosea about? It's about the heartbreak of God because his bride became unfaithful. What is Jeremiah talking about when he said, Can a bride forget her ornaments? Yet you have forgotten me time and again. What is the book of James talking about when it talks about adulterous relationship? What he's talking about is this, is that we have become unfaithful to our vows. And when we become unfaithful to our vows, we break his heart. And the church is the church that says, I'm not going to bring grief to my Lord. I'm not going to bring pain and hurt. I'm going to be faithful to him. And it seems that the second characteristic of a bride is to respond in a loving way to her husband. 
respond in a loving way means that I begin to act in a loving way. If you have any question about what that is, you look at 1 Corinthians 13. And it's significant that after Paul had described the various gifts, he said, let me show you a more excellent way. Love is patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not, does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy, does not hold grudges, and will hardly notice when others do it wrong. If you love somebody, you'll be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You'll always believe in him. You'll always expect the best of him. And you'll always stand your ground in defending him. I tell you that the bride is to act in a loving way. And I want to say this to close. It is not possible for you to love the bridegroom and not love the bride. And the person who says to me, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. I just don't like the church. The best thing I can say about that is, that is a lie. You cannot love Jesus and not love his bride. It'll be like you saying to me, Gerald, I've got this beautiful dinner prepared. Come over to our house and eat. And as, but, uh, but don't bring Margaret. <laughs> we don't like her. Now, as much as I like to eat, <laughs> I'd have to turn down your invitation because you can't love me and not love her. Is the church the church? Are you disappointed? Then what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the picture we have seen today, what it is to be the church of God. And help us to commit to that ideal, for I pray in Jesus' name. There are invitations this morning, an invitation for you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. This Lord died for you. By your faith in Him, trust in Him, you become His child, His, His, remember His body. Perhaps you need to come this morning and put your life in the fellowship of a church. Or maybe you, as a Christian, would need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, to the cooperation with the members, subordination to the head. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.